How's it going, everybody? This is Chris. Welcome to episode 21 of X Lapsed, and uh, this is a, a weird episode because uh, you, well, you won't be able to tell from listening to it because uh, the the episodes are still coming out every day. But I've been banking these, right? I've been even on days where an episode doesn't come out because we got something else cooking here at the channel. I'm still recording an episode, you know. And uh, with this episode, I actually skipped a day um, because. I wasn't quite sure how to compile my thoughts on it, um, and we'll talk a little bit more about that uh, in our you know little talking time segment at the end here or toward the end. Um, this is Marauders number two. Now Marauders number one was uh, you know teeter tottering at the top of my uh, you know best of the issue ones uh, pile uh, alongside New Mutants. So let's see if uh, if it holds its position or if maybe it uh, maybe it doesn't. Um, let's get right into it. Marauders number 2, January 2020 cover date. The story is called The Red Coronation. Written by Jerry Duggan, with art by Matteo Lali. Colors by Federico Blee. The letters VCs Corey Petit. Designs Tom Muller, head of X Hickman. Edits Robinson White Sobolski. Cover price $3.99. Went on sale November 20th, 2019. And, uh, well, this issue, uh, has what you might call like a spoilery cover, uh, though the events uh, that are about to be revealed hardly feel like a big gotcha because it's uh, been pretty well alluded to up to this point. Um, the cover has uh, Sebastian Shaw and Emma Frost stood before like a little like a war room table, you know, and they're pushing pieces around, and one of them is a giant red, you know, boat front with a kitty on it, and we're looking to fill a red seat. Put two and two together, and uh, I think we can figure this one out. We don't need uh, Sherlock Holmes for this one. Anyway, we open her up, and the first thing we see is our roll call for uh, this second issue. So let's meet the folks. Emma Frost, Sebastian Shaw, Kate Pride, Lockheed, Pyro, Iceman, and Storm. Hi, I guess we're not getting a Bishop appearance this time out, huh? Uh, from here, double page spread a cred, and then the in- an info page. <laughs> now... This info page shares some semi-redacted government document uh, chronicling the adventures or exploits of the Marauders up to this point. Whoever is writing this is doing so from somewhere called the X-Desk, and they're not all that happy about what's going on. And uh, I'm not all that happy that it's taken us up to our fifth page to get the comics, but what are you going to do? We finally open, and it's Emma Frost telepathically chatting up the Cuckoos. They give her an answer of no, we're not privy to the question, but we might assume. Uh, Remember last issue, we got some sinister secrets that implied that Kitty wasn't the first or second choice for a certain role that's about to be revealed. Now we know Storm was asked and declined, and now it would appear 
that the cuckoos were asked as well. Now, Emma's preparing to have a Hellfire Trading Company meeting with her partner Sebastian Shaw, and she ain't looking forward to it. One of the cuckoos suggested it's going to be an absolute S-show. As we pop back to reality, uh, Emma and Sebastian are having a meeting in London. Emma mentions that it doesn't look like Shaw's doing all that well when it comes to his P&Ls, you know, his profits and losses. A lot of red ink in them books. And uh, we get a lot of mentions of red here. We're getting beaten over the head with red here. They're even drinking red wine. Uh, Now, Shaw is none too pleased by being taken to task by Frost, and he throws it in her face that... You know, she can just stroll into any bank and walk out with, like, all the monies, right? Uh, Emma's like, eh, too bad, so sad. And she reminds him that he's got to keep a neater house. Looks like Shaw's using a non-kitty captained boat to move the merchandise. And it doesn't look like they had all that great a maiden voyage, and uh, we will get there. Uh, The topic of conversation briefly shifts over to that red throne before we shift scenes to the high seas. Now, the Marauders are locked in a battle with a group of goons being led by <sighs> Batrock the Frickin' Leaper. Do, do we still find this guy like LOL Internet Random Funny? I, I don't think I ever did, but a lot of folks seem to. I, I, I don't know. Uh, anyway, Kitty and the crew make embarrassingly short work out of the geeks. Our captain phases through to the hold and finds all the merch. It's Krakoan, so... Uh, Looks like Sebastian Shaw, the master manipulator of the Hellfire Club, has has entrusted his shipping routes to Batrock the Friggin' Leaper. Come on. Okay, Batrock, he approaches Kitty to see if there's any way they might work out a deal. You know, split the profits, whatever it takes. Uh, Kitty declines the offer, stating that mutant money now grows on trees, and as such, they really don't need the jack. She then tosses him overboard. Uh, Kitty and company commandeer the boat, leaving Batrock and his geeks on a little life raft. The Marauders set sail for Taipei, where Pyro and Iceman proceed to auction off their new boat to the highest local bidder. We hop back to London, where Shaw is absolutely furious that Emma's team screwed his team. And he's also quite upset that Batrock is mad at him. But, but I mean, come on, it's, it's friggin' Batrock, come on. Uh, Shaw warns Emma that things will be different once he installs an ally in the Red Seat. To which Emma informs him that, eh, that seat's already been taken. Uh, she actually took care of all that before she even approached Shaw about a return. Alright, so let's see what the kids are up to in Taipei. Kitty's, uh, well, she's getting drunk, which appears to be her gimmick. Uh, the team dances with some locals before running into, hey, it's Bishop! I wonder why he didn't rate for a little box on that roll call page, but, uh, what are you gonna do? Bishop informs the Marauders that Professor X has been assassinated here. Uh, There's a bit of stunned silence, then Iceman tries to break the ice by assuring everyone that they can believe in the Five to bring him back. Pyro is not so sure. A drunk kitty then wanders into a tattoo shop, which doesn't seem like the best of ideas at this juncture. Uh, Now we watch as she gets her, her knuckles tattooed. Storm ain't too pleased, but doesn't really raise any firm objections. Uh, Iceman isn't so sure either. Uh, Bishop comments that he's already got a tattoo, and, you know, it really wasn't his choice to get it. Pyro, on the other hand, plops himself down to get, like, a full-face Punisher skull tattooed on his on his face. I mean, okey-doke. Um, now, once the deeds are done, Kitty tosses a wad of cash at the tattooist before forcing a kiss on him. As uh, she leaves, we can see that her knuckles have been tatted with hold and fast. 
Okay. Now, Emma makes telepathic contact and informs them that Gateway will warp them to London, and so that's exactly what happens. And, you know, we were we actually referred to a piece, uh, we covered a letter from Damien a couple of episodes back, where he was referring to a piece that criti- criticized the depiction of Storm as being a very light-skinned woman. I said then that I didn't notice it, but let's look at Gateway here for a sec. He, he just looks like a white guy. Like, he doesn't look light-skinned, he looks white-skinned. Very strange. Anywho, they step through the portal and they pop out on board their brand new rig, the Marauder. And, uh, needless to say, they all love their new digs. Kitty goes to leave to attend to some business, which Iceman asks if she's sure she wants to do. Before we know it, we're back at the Frost Shore Consortium, and, uh, Emma keeps needling Sebastian to the point where he actually grabs her by the throat and slams her into the wall. Uh, he then tells her that there won't be a Red King. And uh, this sentiment is agreed upon because it's uh, not going to be a Red King. It's going to be a Red Queen. Any any guesses? Any guesses who that Red Queen's going to be? Uh, no? Um, if you, well, if you said Kitty and a Captain Morgan get up, you'd be right. Oh, and she's also drinking again. Uh, we wrap up with a tree chart of the Hellfire Trading Company with a whole lot of blanks, which tells me we're probably going to be seeing this one a lot as positions get filled in. Uh, at the very top, there's a position called Lord Imperial, and it's listed as vacant. Uh, from Lord Imperial, we get the three royal seats, you know, black, white, and red, and each of those have a bishop and a knight below them. So let's start with the white. The white monarch is Emma Frost, duh. The White Bishop is Christian Frost, Emma's brother. The White Knight is Vacant. The Black Monarch is, of course, Sebastian Shaw. The Black Bishop is Awaiting Accolades. And the Black Knight is Vacant. The Red Monarch is Captain Kate Pride. The Red Bishop is Awaiting Accolades. But, I mean, it couldn't be as easy as just making it Bishop, right? I guess we'll find out. Uh, The Red Knight is Vacant. And that's that. Uh, next up, we've got the New Mutants, but uh, let's uh, let's get a sip of something here, um, alcoholic or otherwise, and discuss what we just read. Now, I mentioned at the beginning of this episode, I actually sat on this, you know, little talking time bit for a little over a day, because I wasn't quite sure how to, how to approach it, um, and I still don't. <laughs> um, I got some bullet points here uh, that I'll try to have make some sense here. Um, I I like the story quite a bit, um, but I'm not completely on board, pun intended, with Kitty. I She's very off-putting, and uh, I mean, a lot of characters are, so that's forgivable, but she's also, and it, it hurts me to say it, she's really, 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 really annoying. Um, I will, let's put a pin in that. Put a pin on that for now. Uh, the Hellfire bits that framed this one were kind of neat, but, uh, I, I don't think the intended reaction here was, like, sympathy for Shaw, but that's what I started to feel. I actually started to feel bad for him. I mean, he's an a-hole, right? We know that. But Emma came across kind of worse. Um, I, I feel like every, you know, aha and gotcha that we got here were completely unearned. I mean... Let's look at this here. The deck is already so stacked against Shaw, right? So what's the sport in beating him every time out? There's no sport in that. It's Shaw is a clown. 
and it's uh, it makes Emma look petty. It makes Shaw look like an idiot. It just nobody's coming out of this looking good. It's like you're not really slipping one past the goalie when the goalie's sleeping at the net, right? And we got Shaw here who is just woefully, you know, uh, unprepared to deal with uh, everything that Emma's already put in place. Uh, let's talk about Batrock for a second. Um, now, anytime I see him in a comic, I this is me projecting, but I always assume that the writer is sitting there writing, like rubbing their hands together, waiting for all the memes to start rolling in. Uh, you know, Batrock is like the lame villain du jour. Is in my opinion, like fifteen years past its sell-by date. Just not funny anymore. If it ever was, which I'm not sure it was. I mean, I know, like, I think he was like a more to the month in Wizard that might have gotten a, you know, a lip curl out of me, but it's just enough. We get it. He's, he's, he sucks. We get it. Um, let's talk about the tattoos. Now, cards on the table, I'm not a tattoo person myself. I feel like that's way too big a commitment for me to make. Um, I, you know, I was, I was dating my wife for near a decade before proposing, so I... You know, it's, commitment is, uh, you know, knowing something will be on my body forever, it's just not not something I'm going to do. Uh, you know, if, if that's your thing, that's cool, but not not my uh, not my deal. Now, a few episodes ago, I was reading a message from Damien who was discussing Kitty perhaps eschewing her Jewish, Jewish customs, you know, her heritage. And uh, Damien and I both commented that we have, like, very little familiarity with Jewish customs, but... Uh, there is one thing I learned about tattoos. Uh, now, being being a guy with a New York accent living in Arizona, um, people usually assume that I am either Italian or Jewish. And, uh, you know, I've got dark hair. Um, I talk like this. Uh, so people, if I'm around Italian people, they generally assume I'm Italian. If I'm around Jewish people, they usually assume that I'm Jewish. And... Uh, I used to be a windshield repairman, so I would drive around sunny, hot Phoenix, Arizona, repairing windshields, and uh, one day I ran across this uh, gentleman who uh, who asked me if my mother was proud. He, he assumed I was Jewish, and he was uh, going to go into uh, like a Jewish Jewish mother, you know, stereotype joke. Uh, he was also, you know, I mean, he was Jewish, I'm not, but... Uh, but he asked if my mother's proud of me, you know, working on a Sunday repairing windshields. And I laughed, you know. And he told me that uh, his goal was to, because uh, he told me his mother wasn't proud of him because his goal in life was to become a comedian. And uh, he wasn't terribly funny, but uh, he asked if he could try out his uh, parts of his act on me. And I mean, I'm a captive audience. I'm I'm up on his on his van, you know, fixing a hole in his window. <laughs> you know, I, I ain't going anywhere. So he starts telling me uh, this joke about how he wanted to get a tattoo, and his mother said that you know that goes against Jewish customs to get a tattoo. And uh, he made a comment about how it's also against Jewish customs, you know, in traditionally not to get cremated. And, I mean, this is a very forced joke this fellow was telling me. He really wanted this joke to pay off exactly the way it was going to. So he told his mother that they'd make a compromise, and he would get the words, do not cremate, tattooed on his body. So he'd get his tattoo, and he still wouldn't get cremated. So he thought it was a raucous laugh. I laughed because I was hoping to get a tip. Uh, I didn't. But uh, 
that's that's one thing I know about, uh, and that's even if this guy's on the level, but that's a, a Jewish custom that I found out about by accident. So Kitty getting a tattoo, that might be something. I don't know. Uh, I've never heard it before or since that tattoos were taboo, but uh, perhaps that's what they're alluding to here. I don't know, but uh, that's what I... It, that's the first thing I thought of when I saw her getting a tattoo because the uh, discussion that Damien and I had was fresh in my mind and I went right to this uh, this hot Sunday afternoon where I was repairing this guy's windshield. But uh, anyway, as for Kitty and Pyro getting inked, eh, you know, what are you going to do? Um, I don't know. Uh, you know, overall, I'd have to say, personally, I feel like this was a big step down from the opening issue. Uh, still enjoyable enough. Um, maybe I'll get on board with the way Kitty's being depicted. Maybe maybe I won't. I don't know. Um, and I'm not someone who has this, you know, <laughs> another thing we talked about was people calling Kitty, or people having it in their head that Kitty's kind of their girlfriend. I never had that. Uh, she was a... Uh, she was nowhere around when I started reading comics. She was on Exc- she was on Excalibur, and Excalibur cost a buck seventy five instead of a dollar. So I never read it uh, back then. So I didn't really have any Kitty in my formative years. Oof! I, I just I should I should say those things out loud more often before I commit them to uh, audio. Anyway, <laughs> before I let you go, let's get into some feedback here. Uh, we do we will start with uh, Damien. He's talking about episode 16, where we discuss New Mutants number one. He says, I'm still working my way through catching up with you, and we as, and we come to one of my favorites. The choice to centralize Sunspot seemed weird to me at first. I always think of New Mutants as being Danny's book, maybe with Cannonball as a secondary character. I also miss the Bobby Sam stuff in Avengers. I last regularly read Avengers when Kurt Busiek was writing it. Since then, I felt that Avengers was constantly set up as a book you cannot read alone. You need to read ten Avengers books or none. I've chosen none. And, you know, it's weird. I just mentioned that when I came in, Kitty was, uh, she, you know, she was on Excalibur. She was not in a book that I was following. She wasn't in a book that I considered a flagship book. Now, when I came into the X-Fandom, which was around 1991, 1992, uh, you know, Danny wasn't much of a factor when I came in. You know, she was actually a bad guy. She was a member of uh, Strife's Mutant Liberation Front. Of course, it would uh, you know eventually be revealed that she was uh, undercover, but I doubt that was the original intention. Um, it's weird how, you know, when you start reading comics, that kind of informs your depictions of what, of what or who most personifies a book, right? So, you know, when I would think back to New Mutants, which I never read because I came in after the fact, and... All the New Mutants books were very, very pricey in the back issue bin around this time. I'd always associate Sam as being the top guy. You know, and actually going back and reading New Mutants several times over, it, I can definitely say that it's, yeah, it's definitely Danny's book. But, you know, those, fir- those first impressions are really hard to break. Um, my first impression is that New Mutants was Sam's book, so it'll always kind of be Sam's book to me. Uh, now, the Busick Avengers is probably as far as I'd ever go again, should I ever, you know, find an extra half dozen hours a day to devote to reading comics. I feel like that's probably the best sustained Avengers run I've ever read. Um, and best of all, you only had to read one book a month. Now, I think, like, if someone came to me now and said, how do I start reading Avengers? I'd probably tell them to, like, maybe take up building model boats instead. <laughs> you know, I... I 
I wouldn't even know where to tell you to begin. Um, if you're a fan of the movie, you ain't getting anything from the movie in the comics these days. Uh, I, I could not even tell you where to start. I've been in I've been in the comics fandom for 30 years, and if I went to the comic store tomorrow to pick up Avengers, I wouldn't know what to buy. So, ugh, it's a toughie. Uh, back to Damien. He says, Right from issue one, page one, I loved Rod Reese's art. He brings so much characterization into the team. You're right to compare him to Sienkiewicz, but I'm actually reminded more of the brief run where Sienkiewicz inked Mary Wilshire. There's a naturalism to the body language which really sells it as a character-driven book. That's a very good call. Very good call. As for those characters, you talk about Rain losing her religion. I expect giving birth to, the, to a king of hell will have a theological impact. Personally, I'd prefer to see her still retain faith, but reject the Reverend Craigs of the world. It would be quite interesting to see Rain, Karma, and Nightcrawler creating some kind of Christian fellowship on Krakoa. Hickman seems interested in how faith and religion affect people, so it might happen. And I tell you what, I totally forgot about Rain giving birth. Uh, was that that was that was during uh, like the later X Factor? Uh, the the probably what was it twenty twenty thirteen ish? You know, it's funny. I, I love that book, but I swear I can't remember a lick of it. Uh, <laughs> is that who is the one? Layla Miller, the girl who knew stuff. Then she was like rapidly aged and like married Jamie. Is she still around? I, I don't know. Guido is not still like Satan or the King of Hell or whatever, is he? I, <laughs> who knows? Um, now I agree. I would like to see Rain maintain her faith, but I think it's interesting to see her actually struggle to do so. You know, like be someone who wants to believe. But, like, know enough or know, or, or know enough to have doubt. Um, I mean, because, like you said, she she did give birth to the King of Hell, and she was just resurrected. So she might actually know what comes in the afterlife. Uh, so that might very well be where we're headed. Uh, back to Damien. He says, My biggest concern with New Mutants was the breaking of the fourth wall. It seems too comedic a device for a team that is so defined by a history of tragedies. In the end, I've come to terms with it when I realized it's just us getting to see life through Bobby's eyes. He lives his life like he's in an episode of Magnum P.I. <laughs> and that's that's very funny. Um, I'm generally not a fan of fourth wall breaking. Um, ever since it became like the comic writer's go-to to foment internet laughs and memes, you know, not not a fan of that kind of thing. But I, I really enjoyed it here. I mean, it made it, it made Roberto seem... Like a, like a bit delusional, right? Like, as you said, it's like he's starring in his own... Epi- like an episode of his own show. At the end of the day, he's giving side glances and winks to nobody at all. And if any of his teammates catch him doing it, he's going to look like an idiot. <laughs> and it's... I mean, I, I hope that happens. I hope somebody is, like, calls him out and like, Who are you looking at? Who are you winking to? Um, now, back to Damien. We'll wrap, it, wrap up his message here. He says, I eventually stopped buying this book, New Mutants. And can't really remember why. I'm tempted to buy the missing books when you get to them. And I hope you do. I hope you do, or at least follow along with Marvel Unlimited as we work our way through. I mean, that's, uh... I'm hoping that, uh, that people, you know, people will start reading uh, some of the stuff they might have dropped. Or or maybe they'll uh, just listen to hear me suffer through the books that they did drop and will not go back to. So, <laughs> we'll see how that goes. Uh, thank you so much for your message, Damien. It's always very, very appreciated here. Uh, from here, we got a couple more. We got uh, we got a message from uh, our friend Dallas Gibson regarding X-Men number two. He says, a great episode. Without spoiling, you're not going to get a team book here in X-Men. 
This is a series of one-shots. They're planting seeds and nation-building. It took some getting used to, but seven or so issues in for me, X-Men has been my favorite so far. Great stuff ahead. So that's good to know. Because that's a question I did ask when we were uh, reading X-Men number two. I didn't know if this was just going to be like vignettes or if we were going to get a team. You know, um, I'm wondering if outside of like Marauders and New Mutants, are we going to get any teams, right? I mean, X-Force seems like just people slipping into seats. Uh, Fallen Angels, I guess it's too too soon to tell, but uh, what other books we got? Excalibur seems like it could be a slip seat kind of a situation as well. But, uh, no, that's, uh, that's good information to have. Um, so I, I can no longer critique it for not being what it's not. <laughs> you know, I, you won't have X-Men number three with me saying, hey, why don't we have a team yet? So now I know. No one's half the battle, and uh, we can move on. So thank you so much, Dallas. And uh, uh, your excitement about it is making me excited to read it. So that's a good thing, for sure. And uh, we'll wrap up with a message from our friend Evan Bevins. He says, I'm still playing catch-up on the podcast, but I'm rereading Hoxpox, and uh, that scene where Storm welcomes back the resurrected X-Men seems a little too culty for Storm and some of the others. I mean, I know this is a cultural shift for them, but dang. So there's another uh, another check in the, wow, that was culty column. Uh, that's That was the impression a lot of us got. And uh, thank you so much for, for sharing that, Evan, and I'm, I'm so happy you're following along. But uh, yeah, that is the uh, that seems to be like the big takeaway from that scene for a lot of people, and I'm happy it wasn't just me, because I was, <laughs> I was a little nervous with the, uh, with the tremendous, you know, gargantuan shoe that dropped in that issue that I might, might have been focusing on the wrong thing. But uh, I'm happy that other people were maybe a little bit uh, off-put by Storm's behavior there. So thank you all so much for uh, for reaching out, sharing, and uh, and for listening, of course. Now, if you'd like to uh, reach out, you could do so at Ace Comics on Twitter or at weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com. You can find show notes and stuff at chrisisoninfiniteearths.com. This show has its own page at xlapsed.chrisisoninfiniteearths.com. we got the Facebook group, 90s X-Men. Even though this is not a 90s book, that's the group I got, so that's the group I'm going with. Um, you can find the audio archives at chrisandreggie.podbean.com. You'll be able to find all of the audio exploits. That's, of course, X-Lapsed, Moratory Mondays, Chris and Reggie's Cosmic Treadmill, Weird Comics History, The Young Animal Gatherums, Chris's on Infinite Earths, all sorts of stuff. Reggie's Comic Stories, all that stuff's uh, archived and ready for your waiting ears. So uh, I think that's where we will... Uh, draw to a close today. I wish I could have been more positive about this one. Maybe future issues will uh, shock me to my senses. Um, I couldn't help but to be just a little bit annoyed (laughs) at most of the characters in this issue, so we'll see how it goes. We'll see how it goes. We're going to be optimistic here, which is uncharacteristic for me, but uh, we'll try our best. So, with all that said, I will thank you all one more time and uh, let you know I will talk to you again real soon. See ya.